Welcome home. Good to see you. I uh, Welcome to Bethany. Kids may be dismissed for Children's Church. If you're between the ages of three and fifth grade, you can go upstairs. we got lots of great things planned for you. I see the Brugs and the Shanklins going upstairs. You're going to have a great time. Great, great time. Anyway, um, so glad to see so many of you here. I was, uh, I was sick this week, and I was just hoping, please, God, I want to be well enough. For, I so look forward to being with you um, and having this time together uh, with God. So I'm just grateful to be here. Um, this is Your Suffering Has, has Meaning, Part 2. We had an awesome time last week um, talking about suffering. Um, it sounds strange, but we did. Um, this is the power to suffer well. The power to suffer well. Um, before we dive into that, I want to encourage you on a few housekeeping notes. We talked about our one life, our one life emphasis, that each one of us would have one life, one person that we love, that we care about, who is far from Jesus, that we would pray for, that we would love and pour our lives into until they know how God, how Jesus feels about them. We would be the gospel, the good news, the blessing in their lives. We would tell them of the blessing and the gospel and the new life that Jesus has for them. We would invite them here. We're going to do next week is going to be our invest and invite Sunday. We want you to invite your people. We have already had people have their one life person here last week, one week into it, and receive Jesus Christ. It happens. And if it happens in every, if, okay, that, that so segues into my next housekeeping item. If you have recently prayed to receive Christ, and there are many of you over the last three weeks, or about, about 10 of you, um, we have a free gift. It is the 10 most important Bible verses. Uh, we want to just give this to you free. Uh, it's a great book. It's got some great theology. It'll help you get into Scripture and the Bible um, $16.99 cover price to you is free. I'll have some on your way out. Just, uh, just ask for one. I'll give it to you. We want you to have it. Communicate with us because there are things you want to put into your hand. It's nothing spooky. You won't receive a new book every four weeks, two weeks to review it. You don't like it. You send it back. You get a bill if you don't. Not like that. We just want you to have this. It's a blessing. So uh, check me at the, at the door on the way out. I'm also going to be passing around a sign-up form this week. Uh, or next, uh, next week, but we want to get this straightened out, the week of November 9th. So a week from Monday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. We will be uh, at Gunnison High School in the mini food court. And we're volunteering and we're serving. So if you have time, all the times are here. We'd love to have you. We're serving apparently mini food, little tiny foods, I guess. Or maybe the food court is small. I'm not sure. But either way, we need you. It's a great chance to encourage and love on some high school kids. So uh, I'm going to start this around here, make sure everybody touches it and, and it gets all filled out. We're so glad you're here. Great. Great. We did the one life. We did the book. We did the suffering. Good, good, good. Um, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, uh, we want to know you. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, we want to be so overwhelmed and engulfed in your love uh, because it's so great. It is so great. And Lord, you have so much hope and so much comfort, and so much joy in the midst of our suffering. And Lord, it is only in you. And, and so, Lord, we ask that you come and fill this place with your Holy Spirit, and that we might know your love in a way that has been foreign to us, that has been blocked off to us, that just blows us out of the water. And Lord, for those who do not know you, that they would so be confronted, so raptured by your love, uh, that it would be irresistible to them. So I ask that you open eyes and open hearts and open minds and reveal yourself. Lord, I pray against the enemy. 
his servants, their works and effects. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to be mighty in this place. Mighty in this place. Lord, I ask you to forgive me my sins and I wish that they were not so many. And Lord, be glorified and that we would see Jesus and him only. Leave none of us the same. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. So glad you're here. Um, we're going to be looking at Acts 6, 8 uh, through chapter 7. We're covering a lot of biblical real estate this morning, uh, 78 verses. Uh, we're just going to hit the highlights, strap yourselves in. We're going to be moving quickly. Um, but before we do, I want you to, <coughs> excuse me, I want to take a look at a, a, a biblical treasure, a jewel that is there, that is woven throughout this passage. While it's not named in this passage, we're talking about Stephen, uh, and we're going to look at, not, not the Stephen that, that you're thinking about, maybe, but we're talking about him, and this is something he understood. This is something every martyr understands. This is something every follower of Jesus Christ needs to know and embrace. It is Psalm 63.3. I want you to read it with me. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Your love is better than life. To know the love of Jesus Christ is better than waking up tomorrow morning. I would rather know God's love in its fullness than go on without it. Martyrs know this. Followers of Jesus Christ know this. We need to know this because as we've said over and over, if we only knew, if we only knew how much he loves us, our lives would be transformed. They would be so different. Our marriages, our relationships, our finances, our struggles, our suffering would be transformed into something beautiful, into something beautiful. Okay, keep that in mind as we go through. We're going to look at Stephen this week. We'll talk more about suffering. If the Bible was a movie, Stephen would be making just a cameo appearance. He lives in the Bible for only one and a half chapters. We meet him, then he's dead. Okay? Very brief. But 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him, modeling our lives after him, and naming our sons after him. Stephen, we need to know. We need to know. We need to know what's driving him. Let me introduce you to Stephen real quick because you know a little bit about him and help you better understand how he's able to be a professional sufferer, sufferer, to embody this power to suffer well. The first time we hear about Stephen, he's chosen in Acts chapter 6. That's where we're going to start. He's chosen as a deacon, and we look at that <clears throat> We're going to talk more about deacons next week. We're going to jump backwards uh, to the beginning of chapter 6 next week. He's chosen as a deacon to care for people while the apostles prayed and preached. And here's what Acts 6.5 says about him. Stephen, a man full of faith and, and of the Holy Spirit. He was full of two things. He was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. Be awesome, guys. Wouldn't it be awesome if the people we work with, if the people you date, if the people you're married to, if the people you work with described you, the first thing that they thought of was calling you full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit? That would be great. Certainly better than some of the other things they could say we're full of, right? Now you're thinking of one thing right now. Could be full of gas and beer and hot air. Could be full of stories. Could be full of, full of trouble, full of bull, full of himself. 
But Stephen is a great man because he's full of faith and he's full of the Holy Spirit. Men, dads, college guys, high school guys, husbands, if you want to leave the JV team and join the ranks of Stephen and the great men of faith, then let Jesus loose in your life. Be filled with faith and the Holy Spirit and live as God is calling you to live. And then and only then will you be a man's man by the Bible's standard. And until then, we're just faking it. We're just faking it. That's what we're going to talk a lot about when we have our Acts Like a Man conference. I want to say something to the women in here who are not married, who are Christians. You're a follower of Jesus, or you become one today, and the guy in your life is not close to being described as full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say something that sounds harsh. Think seriously about dumping him. This missionary dating thing there is more of a chance he is going to suck you in to the world's way of loving, the world's way of doing things, than there is for you bringing him into the kingdom of God. Do that as his friend, not as his romantic partner. You deserve better. And if some of those guys are here this morning, I apologize, but I don't. Come to Jesus Women who belong to Jesus Christ need a man who belongs to Jesus Christ. Because you're walking two different roads. Bring him along for the ride. Or dump him. And continue to love him. And speak of the new life. I'm not saying you're a second class citizen. We love you. We love you. Stephen was a real man by God's definition. Let's stretch for that. He was not only a man's man, more importantly, he was the man's man. He was Jesus' man. And he stood for Jesus and truth and reaching out to those who are far from Jesus. <coughs> and he never backed down and he never wimped out and he never succumbed, and he never tapped out, and he stood faithful even when he knew it was going to cost him his life. Is anybody here 19 or 20? 19 or 20? Stand up. Just stand for a second. I want to use you as a sermon illustration. Look at these people. If they died today, we would say this is a life cut short, yes? Probably Probably Stephen's age. Probably Stephen's age. He's going to die today. Sit down, thanks. Those of you who stood, God did great things with people that the world at that time didn't give any credence to as having any power, as having any wisdom, as having any usefulness to God. He can use you. He can use you if he wants to. Okay, okay. He is the first Christian martyr. And if you're a Christian or you become one today in eternity, when you see Stephen, he's going to be the studly one, okay? In eternity, Stephen is a rock star. And here's the good news. You can be one too. We're going to find out how. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. Stephen is full of grace and power. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Okay, pause right there. He was full of grace and power. He was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. You want to be full of grace? He, he cut everybody slack. He treated them better than they deserved. He treated them with the love of Jesus Christ. Right? And he had the power. He was understanding with people who were falling down, who were sinful, who were breaking the rules, who were testing his life, who were persecuting him. And he had the power to spiritually kick all kinds of butt. But he still had grace with people. 
Where does that come from? You get grace and power when you're filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. It gets thrown in for free. No extra charge. Not even shipping and handling. It comes together. That's right. Get faith and the Holy Spirit. You get grace and power thrown in. Stephen is full of grace and holy power and power. He's doing great works. God is using him mightily at a young age. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia. Now, Cilicia is, is generally thought to be the home synagogue of Saul, who became Paul. I just throw that out for you because we're going to see Paul later. And, and we're going to see how God just rocks his world. If you don't spend a lot of time in the Bible, um, when you hear Saul uh, here in the New Testament and you hear Paul, they're the same person. God gives him a name change when he gets a heart and life change. The, the, before he meets Jesus, he's Saul. And, and after, he's, he's Paul. And Asia, so we got a lot of different people, a lot of different synagogues, and they're rising up and they're disputing with Stephen. His faith is so strong. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And a lot of you say, I'm not a speaker. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to get into these conversations. I don't know how to speak life into my, my friends and my coworkers. If you're full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, they will not be able to withstand. The Spirit of God speaks through you. He will give you the words. Even if it sounds like gobbledygook, I have delivered some of the worst sermons. Some of you have adored these. And people get saved. How could that happen? It's because the word of God and the spirit of God goes forth. It doesn't, I'm just a vessel. I'm just a pot he's cooking in. But if the right ingredients are in you, he's going to pour that through you. And they were unable to withstand the wisdom and they were so stubborn that they, they can't win, so they cheat. They cheat. What do they do? They have underground moles. Verse 11, it gets very interesting. Then they secretly instigated men. They get these underground guys, right? Who said, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They're stirring up the people. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came and they seized him. They seized him. Now, whenever we see this word, seized, we know it's not they invited him. They abducted him. They took him by force. Whenever I hear the word seized, I used to work in residence life at my college. I came in one morning, and um, they had, somebody had broken into the res life office. There was a closet there where they had a lot of TVs and VCRs. And uh, they, they, st they stole them. And there was this, there was this person there who, um, who was a witness to this, who was working in the building overnight. And, and she was very New Orleans, very New Orleans lady. And they're interviewing her. And they said, ma'am, can you just tell us um, what happened? And, and she says, yes, I'll seize those men coming in and taking the TVs and the VCRs and put them in a the van. They drive on out of here. <laughs> Very New Orleans lady. And they said, ma'am, did you try to seize the individuals? And she said, I did seize them. <laughs> I seized them, take the TVs and the VCRs and drive on out of here. He, they seized him. They laid hands on him. They dragged him. Sorry, a little diversion there. Just make sure you're awake. They brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against his holy place in the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He's been abducted. He's been dragged to court. He's being threatened. He sees what's going to happen. 
It's very violent. It's very dangerous. And his face is not in a scowl. It is not knit with worry. It is not angry. He is so full of the Holy Spirit that it is oozing out of his eyes, out of his face, out of his countenance, out of his pores. And all they see is peace and faith and glory. And they describe him as he's being lied about, as he's being accused, as he's being set up, looking like an angel. That's the kind of peace that we can have if we Suffer well, if we suffer well. Verse seven, uh, chapter seven, and the high priest said, "Verse seven, uh, chapter seven, and the high priest said, are these things so? Are these things so?'" And Stephen, who has been a deacon for a short amount of time, he's not even a starter, okay, on the varsity squad. He's on it, but he's not a starter. He comes off the bench, and he gives a sermon that lasts through most of chapter 7, and it is one of the most awesome sermons ever given. And I would encourage you to study it on your own time. Basically, here's what he does. He unpacks for them who have accused him of speaking against Moses, against speaking against God. He, he, he shares with them the meta-narrative, the big story of the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 12 through the book of Amos. That's about 30 books. No notes, no teleprompters, no nothing. And it is amazing. He goes, and, and so these are all the things he, they agree with. These are all the things they agree with. These witnesses can't be true, right? He's talking about Abraham. And you can see all the guys are nodding. Yeah, we love Abraham. And he talks about Jacob. Yeah, yeah, we're the people of Jacob. Joseph, yeah, yeah, Joseph, go with it. Moses, yes, yes. David, yes. Solomon, Temple, yes, yes. And he's telling them that all of this, God is saying, I've heard the cries of my people. I have come, I have come down to redeem them, to pay the price, to gather them up, to lead them out of wilderness, to take them to the promised land. And, and he's, he's in his mind, he's building up because all of these things point to Jesus Christ. All of God's work in the Old Testament points forward to the point where Jesus comes and he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the ark that we get into to ride through the storm. He is everything in everything. He is God's yes and amen. He is our hope and our salvation. And they're nodding. They're nodding. Oh yeah, I get this. Yeah. And historically with Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David and Solomon, God has sent these prophets and, and to tell of God's plan for them that they need to depend upon him, that they need to choose him, that they need to follow him, that they need to trade their old lives for new lives that he wants to take out their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh, heart transplant. And historically, they know this. The Jews, the people of God, have historically beaten the prophets and stoned them and turned away, and they go, yeah, yeah, they've done that. And then he turns it. <coughs> Excuse me, he turns it on them, and it's brilliant. And he does it because it's the truth. And he can't compromise the truth. And he turns it on them, although he knows they'll kill him for it. He knows they'll kill him for it. So here's how he turns it on. He turns it on them. Look at 51, verse 51, chapter 7. You may have to turn the page. And he quotes what God had said to the people on the Old Testament, you stiff-necked people. You stiff-necked, stubborn people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not 
persecute. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. You see the the capitals there? Righteous one. That is Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. It's you. It's not them only. It's you. It's you. All the things you've learned in your synagogues and your rabbinical school, all the things that you've learned to the people of old that you said we should not do, you've done it. It's you. You just killed and murdered the hope of glory, our hero, our savior, Jesus. But God raised him. God raised him. When you look, they got enraged. Here's the question for us. When we look into the truth of God's word, when we look into the truth that God is speaking to our hearts, do we get enraged or do we get broken and repent? Or do we go somewhere on Sunday where they won't talk about that? That's the question. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him, 55. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus. Where does Stephen look? When they become enraged and start grinding their teeth and mumbling, he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. He's seen. He knows what happened to Jesus before the court. We talked last week about the apostles getting getting scourged, right? He knows what's coming. Where does he look? He doesn't look at himself. Why is this happening to me? Why is this struggle, this suffering coming upon me. He does not look at his accusers, at his attackers, and say, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? He doesn't look at his circumstances. Are they going to crucify me? Are they going to stone me? Are they going to scourge me? Where does he look? He looks up to heaven. He looks to Jesus. In your suffering is looking to Jesus, your first resort. Or is looking to Jesus the last resort? The place you go after you've exhausted all the other options. If we're going to suffer well, if we're going to suffer gloriously and faithfully, hopefully and even joyfully, we have to look to Jesus first. And he looks to Jesus And this is the most awesome verse. I want you to wrap your mind around this. Verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He sees Jesus standing in front of his throne. Isaiah in the Old Testament was so blown away when he says, I see the Lord seated on his throne in glory. And he was fully blown away. He sees Jesus standing. Jesus, in his most dire moment, in Stephen's most dire circumstance, opens a skylight into heaven, if you will, and allows him to see the full glory of God and see him standing, giving Stephen a standing ovation, if you will, that he has stood strong that he has stood strong. He is standing with Stephen who is standing with him. When the king stands up from his throne, he's getting ready to do something. He stands because he's ready for action. My friends, you need this picture. Some of you are going through suffering and you're saying, how long? How long, O oh Lord, until I can have my baby? How long until my child comes home to you? 
How long until my body doesn't have this pain? How long until my mind doesn't have these troubles? How long until I don't have these financial burdens? How long before I, my family, my marriage isn't falling apart? How long until I stop being abused? How long? And some of you need to see that Jesus is standing right now for you and with you. I don't know. I have prayed and God doesn't seem to recognize my suffering. Does he not know? Not only does he know, he is closer than you can imagine. And he is standing for you and with you. And if you belong to him, he is standing in you, suffering with you and suffering for you and calling you to enter into his suffering for the redemption of a lost world. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you've suffered in the past has meaning in Jesus Christ. He's standing. Stephen gets the standing ovation from Jesus. How strengthened he must be, 56. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. I want you to see this. I want you to picture this. You got guys, they got those big hats and the big robes. These are older, distinguished guys who stop their ears who in the midst of all this glory, of all this truth, they start behaving like second grade girls on the playground. I cannot hear you. I cannot hear you. I cannot hear <laughs> They stopped their ears and they rushed at him. I'm not kidding. This is what they do. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And some of you guys are going, cool, Stephen got stoned. It's different. It's different. Oh, gosh. I want to read to you something historically that was in the uh, second century Mishnah, which is a Jewish writing um, that talks about this process. I want, to, I want to just read this to you. When a trial is finished, the man is convicted. He's brought out to be stoned. Uh, four cubits, a, a distance from the place where they're going to stone him, the criminal is stripped. So usually they were stripped naked. It's humiliation and, uh, and all of that. And dropped or pushed. The drop from the place of stoning was twice the height of a man, 10, 12 feet or so. One of the witnesses pushes the criminal from behind so that he falls face downward. He is then turned over on his back. If he dies from the fall, that is sufficient. If not, the second witness takes the stone and drops it on his heart. If this causes death, that is sufficient. If not, he is stoned by all the congregation of Israel. It was brutal. They knew this. He knew this. They cried out and rushed together at him, 58, and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. See, he was in charge. He approved of this kind of thing. And you got to stick around because in a couple of weeks, Jesus is going to rock his world. And you are going to hear the story that no matter how far you've been from Jesus, he loves you. You're not good enough at sinning. 
to be beyond the reach of his grace. He loves you so. And if he can rescue a life like Saul's, he can do it for you. He can do it for me. And he can do it for that person in your life that you know. And you would say, God can never save this person. Ooh, ooh. Oh, we've seen it happen. It's going to happen here too. They cast their garments. And as they were stoning him, Stephen crawled out, called out. What did he say? Hey, guys with the rocks, watch the head and watch the privates, okay? It's bad enough you're killing me. No. That's what I would have said. What does Stephen say? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. A couple things I want us to recognize here. Lord, he affirms Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, God of the universe, the one who is in control. When he is suffering, immeasurably, indescribably, he affirms that God is still in control. That God is still in control. Even as we suffer, even as we go through a broken world, as broken people with a perfect Savior, we don't know how he's going to bring glory out of this. We don't know how Romans 8.28 is going to play out. For God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I don't know. But I know that Jesus is Lord and he has never not been in control. Especially when things seem so out of control. He says, Lord, you are in control. Receive my spirit. They can have my body. They can have my breath. As long as I belong to you, none of that matters. Your love is better than life. Your love is better than life. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. As he is experiencing incredible pain, inflicted undeservedly, un because of lies, he's praying for the people who are doing this. Why is he doing this? One, because Jesus did it, and he's a follower of Jesus. As Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. Part of suffering well is forgiving. In the midst of your suffering, whatever you're going through, there is someone you may blame. It might be yourself. It might be your parents. It might be someone who has inflicted this upon you. And forgiveness is not only being forgiven of that which we have done ourselves. It is asking and offering forgiveness for those who have done it to us. Amen? Jesus wants to take away not only your guilt, but the guilt of those who have inflicted pain on you. He loves the people who are stoning him so much that he doesn't want them to have the guilt of his blood on their hands. How much do we love those who have hurt us? Do we go to forgiveness in our suffering? We have a guy that used to hang around here, doesn't anymore, who said this. There's a girl that I work with that I want to love that I want to tell about Jesus, that I want to be a blessing in her life, but I just can't get past the fact that she's always dyeing her hair these weird colors. 
yet he's a follower of Jesus. Right? Well, replace that weird hair with what? I just can't get past the fact that there are so many piercings. I can't get past the fact they struggle with alcohol or meth or whatever it is or sleeping around. or the, It doesn't matter. They were killing him. He's praying for them. Don't hold this against him. Because he knows that they are the ones far from Jesus whom he came to save. Whom he came to save. And some of them, some of them will. Some of them will. And he prays for them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? People who suffer well, who suffer in Christ, he delivers. This is the way we talk about wanting to die. I want to go in my sleep. Complete peace. I don't think that that was um, just random words that the Spirit poured through Luke as he wrote Acts. I think God gave him such a peace, such a peace. He had seen him in his glory. He had seen him standing there. What could you endure if you knew how much he loved you, how much he was standing with you? Psalm 63, 3 says this, your love is better than life. Your love is better than life. Jim Elliott, a famous missionary who, who died in the service of the Lord, taking the good news to hostile people, said, that man is not a fool who risks what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Lord, if I could have your love, if I could just know your love, which I can't earn, which I can't lose, if I could just know your love, it is better than me living another 50 years long enough to walk my daughter down the aisle, long enough to grow old with my wife, long enough to see my son play another game. If I could just know your love, I could deal with not seeing tomorrow. It's that good. It's that powerful. Stephen knew this. Do we know this? We want to know Christ. We want Gunnison and the college to know Christ. And suffering is part of knowing Christ. It's the story of the cross. The people who followed Jesus said, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to go where you go. I want to do what you do. I want to... He says, do you understand? I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer for you. And all who will come with me will suffer do you want that? It is also the road of joy. It is also the road of blessing, but it is also the road of suffering. Isaiah said he was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. If we want to know Christ, but only in the cushy ways, only in the comfortable ways, only in the blessing ways, and not in the suffering ways, then we cannot know Christ fully. In this world, you will have suffering. But take heart and rejoice, for I have overcome. And there will come a day when there is no more suffering and no more pain. But until then, have hope. We have to have suffering to know him. We're going we're gonna to tie it up. The message of the cross is that he takes the greatest suffering, the greatest gruesomeness as he died on the cross in our place for our sins as our substitute and he rose for our salvation. And the most gruesome sight becomes the most beautiful treasure. And when we suffer well, when we suffer with Jesus, it preaches the gospel. It preaches the gospel. 
Whatever our suffering is, it is losing something. Losing our health, losing our marriage, losing our comfort, losing our future. Think about it. When we suffer with Jesus, it proclaims that he is our ultimate treasure, not the thing that we're losing. If we're losing our marriage, it proclaims that my marriage is not the ultimate treasure Jesus is. If we're losing our children, our children are not the ultimate treasure Jesus is. If we're losing our money, our money is not our ultimate treasure Jesus is. If we're losing our future, our breath, our comfort, our, our, our health, our health and all that stuff is not our ultimate treasure. Jesus is. If we're losing our grades or our season or our athletic opportunities or our grades or our chosen college, that is not our ultimate treasure. Jesus is. If we're losing our friends, it is not our ultimate treasure. Jesus is. And if we believe that his love is better than life, then even if we're losing our life, our life is not our ultimate treasure. Jesus is. That's following Jesus. Most of us are not wrestling truly with the question of whether his love is better than life. But there are those here that are struggling with the question of whether his love is better than lifestyle. We need to graduate from that. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. It's not only better than your lifestyle. It's better than your life because without it, you don't have life. You've got death, even though you're breathing and your heart is beating. There's a guy that, that I love the story. He was a pastor who came down with cancer. And he was, his community, his church prayed that he would be healed. And he was. And they couldn't find any of it. And he prayed a prayer at the service that made people gasp. He said, Lord, if it would bring me closer to you, if it would help me know your love better, if it would glorify you more, let the cancer return. And it did. And he lived only one more year. But in that year, he knew the inexpressible joy of life in Jesus and the love that is better than life in a, way, in a way that he often talked about but had never experienced. And he described it as ultimately worth it. He touched the face of God and it cost him his life and he lives eternally. And many of us will live 80 and 90 years in good health and never know the soul-engulfing, heart-blazing rapture of being close to Jesus and knowing the love that is better than life. And knowing all the joy that can come from suffering well. I don't know what you feel about the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but I'll tell you what I feel about it. Hatred. It is not the gospel. And it's being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor. Believe this message. Your pigs won't die. Your wife won't have miscarriages. You have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. That's coming out of America. 
People don't ought to be giving our money and our time and our lives. Instead, selling them a bunch of crap called gospel. And here's the reason it is so horrible. When was the last time that any American, African, Asian ever said, Jesus is all satisfying because you drove a BMW? Never. They'll say, Jesus did do that? Yeah. Well, I'll take Jesus. That's idolatry. That's not the gospel. That's elevating gifts above giver. I'll tell you what makes Jesus look beautiful. is when you smash your car and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and lands like dead on the street. And you say, through the deepest possible pain, God is enough. God is enough. He is good. He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, my little girl may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That makes God look as God, not as giver of cars or safety or health. Oh, how I pray that America would be purged of the health, wealth, and prosperity gods, and that the Christian church would be marked by suffering for Christ. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him in the midst of loss, not prosperity.